Today we're going to continue our topical study on the issue of the creation account as found in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Now just to recap, this is based on a paper that I wrote in 2014 for a class called Old Testament Background Studies in Genesis. And in that paper, I briefly looked at some of the various views of the creation accounts to put out their weaknesses and their strengths, at least as far as I could discern, and which ones we as Bible-believing Christians, I believe we should reject, and which ones we should embrace. Again, this study is, this study is not meant to be exhaustive, but to serve as a good starting point for the reader to pursue on their own. In other words, you need to study these things for yourselves. Last time we looked at what is called the pictorial day, and we looked at old earth creationism and young earth creationism. And today I want to look at two more. I want to look at the gap theory and I want to look at naturalistic evolution. Now, the gap theory uh, first made its way into the mainstream as a result of the printing of the Schofield Reference Bible in 1909. Yes, that beloved reference Bible. I got three or four of them right here behind me right now. Uh, this theory assumes a gap of time between verses 1 and 2 of the book of Genesis. It is during this time that they postulate that a pre-Adamic world once existed and was subsequently destroyed in the rebellion of Lucifer and the fallen angels that are referred to in Ezekiel chapter 28 and Isaiah chapter number 14. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. So in between those verses, uh, they place what is referred to as the gap theory. Uh, something happened uh, between verses 1 and 2, the gap theory. Now, for the, the reason for this view is found in Genesis 1-2, and it's a verse that says, The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Now, an issue is the word was, the earth was formless and void, which they believe should be translated as, the earth became formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. Okay. Um, in other words, the earth became formless and void as a result of some act or judgment in time past. It is in this, quote, gap of time that they conclude that all the ages that are demanded by geologists occurred and ended with the glacial age. Now, this theory also explains, at least to them, why there is the apparent contradiction and how old science says the earth is and the biblical account. So, now this theory goes on to surmise that in Genesis 1-3, God then starts the process of reparation as described in the six days of creation. Now, the rationale for this view comes from, quote, a desire to reconcile the voluminous scientific evidence for Earth's antiquity. Uh, 
You notice that? <laughs> they all seem, they're all accommodationism. They're wanting to accommodate science and the Bible. They want to reconcile it. And yet still can concede that there were six literal days of creation. So in the end, though, too much of the theory rests on the translation of the word was and the questionable use of the phrase formless and void. Now, that's a pretty big theory for a three-letter word. Um, and again, it's an attempt at accommodationalism. And of course, <clears throat> it's been around for a long time. Uh, next is the view that is referred to as naturalistic evolution. Now, before 1900, the issue of evolution was, it was a non-starter. It wasn't a controversial subject because everyone, for the most part, embraced the, the biblical view of creation, either by conviction or by conformity. In other words, if you stepped out of line, then, <laughs> you know, you immediately felt it. Now, of course, you and I both know it's the opposite today. However, the issue of evolution was brought to the forefront by the progressive movements. And progressives aren't new. Uh, in the early 20th century, in a series of court cases that were known as the Scopes Monkey Trial, I would encourage you to go and uh, take a look at that, the Scopes Monkey Trial. Uh, and, of course, you know, just... The paraphrased version is that there was an argument put forth that instead of creation, instead of simply teaching creation in the public schools, we should, because it's a theory, we should also teach the evolutionary theory as well as so that they can kind of compare and contrast. And of course, you know how the devil does uh, give him inch, he'll take a mile. Uh, of course, it was... It was approved, and creation and evolution were taught side by side. Of course, once compromise sets in, creation was kicked to the back burner, and now evolution is deemed to be scientific fact today, which still makes me laugh because uh, it's no more fact than creation because they, there's no scientist on this planet that has seen evolution. None. Even Darwin with the missing link. Nobody's found the missing link. I think they had a missing link on the Worldwide Wrestling Federation, but uh, that's the only one that they've been able to found to find. Evolution is still an a improvable theory. Um, in essence, uh, naturalistic evolution teaches teaches that all creation is purely accidental, and that no supreme power was involved at all. Uh, it presupposes that everything came into existence. It was just random. It was a general. It was a sequence through mutations and natural selection. Of course, this view, by necessity, requires millions, if not billions, of years for these mutations to take place. Uh, Charles Ryrie puts it this way. If one were to reduce the process to a formula, it would be M plus N S times T equals evolution. What that means is mutation plus natural selection over enough time equals evolution. And of course, their numbers get bigger and bigger and bigger for the random chances for the, any of this to happen. But it could be a 
kajillion years and it still wouldn't make a difference uh there's still it didn't happen um you know it's interesting that in regards to the necessity of time for the evolutionary process to take place uh one guy points out in his book trumper longman it's called how to read genesis he says many modern readers stumble over the six days of creation they ask how could it have happened so quickly it is interesting to note that before the 19th century and the work of Charles Darwin, the exact opposite question was asked. For instance, in the 16th century, John Calvin encountered skepticism concerning the biblical, biblical account because they wanted to know why it took so, God so long to, cre to create the universe. You see, the biblical account seemed ridiculous to many readers in the 16th century because they knew that God could, could create instantaneously if he willed. So to them, they thought, six days, why did God take, why did it, God, why did it take God so long to create it if he spoke by, or he created it by fiat, which means just let it be. Why did it take him six days? So just the opposite question was asked in the 16th century. Of course, naturalistic revolution does have its weaknesses. Uh, some of these include issues with mutations that tend to be overwhelmingly useless and even detrimental. A natural selection, which rarely brings about improvements. Uh, and the time required for probability and chance and the stake to the heart is the second law of thermodynamics, which says that all things move from orderliness to chaos. And yet naturalistic evolution supposes that everything moves from chaos to orderliness. We got one more study that we're going to do together, and we're going to look at the biblical response, I believe, to this question. God bless you guys. Hope you have a great day. Remember, God loves you. He wants the best for you. He's working all things out for your good.